Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the 25th day of February 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to do something um, a little unusual. I'm going to start a new, this is my podcast. If you're subscribing to this podcast, you know what the hell you're listening to. You know you're listening to your pal Sully. This is Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. Blah, 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 blah. You got that, all right? Not very confusing. But I'm going to do a series within the podcast. Do you understand what I mean? I'm going to do every, I'm going to do a series of episodes once a week on a certain topic and with a certain tone and with a certain subject. And I'm going to do 31 of these. 31 of these. Because there are 30 teams, but as you'll hear, I'm going to add one more as a caveat. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I had this as an idea. I've been kicking around in my head, and I said, do you know, why don't I just do it? I have a podcast. Also, this I'm going to do 365 episodes in 2017. This helps me burn 31 of them. And it also gives me a sense of organization. It gives me a sense of forward thinking. Maybe sometimes if, you, if I organize my week and say, this is the week I'm going to do this, this is the week I'm going to do that, Sundays I do the Sunday request. You send me tweets, say, here's what I want you to talk about, and I talk about it on Sunday. Well, I'm going to do something on Saturday. And I don't have a name for it yet. And so maybe this is something you can all help me. Fans in Sully Baseball, those who listen to me, let me know what this should be called. But I'm going to be doing this on Saturdays. On Sunday, I'm going to have the Sunday request. And on the next 31 Saturdays, I'm going to be doing this series. This is going to be taking me, geez, into the fall probably. I mean, that's most of the year. That's, there's only 52 Saturdays out of the year. And we've chalked up a couple already. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to do this series, and it's going to be each Saturday, and it'll hopefully give some of you who listen to my podcast over the weekend something to look forward to on Saturday, and also it allows me to, you know, record a few podcasts ahead of time so I can have my weekends free, but still give you an original show every Saturday night. The premise of this series, which is not yet titled, and you're going to help me with it, is the year they should have won. Maybe that's it. The year they should have won. And every franchise is going to get an entry. Now, let me explain to you what I mean, what this entry means. If a team wins the World Series... And this was a topic that we did earlier this week. If a team wins the World Series, that's going to be one of the great years of that fan base's history. 
But sometimes a team wins the World Series, and you look at it and say, yeah, it's great they won. This is great. Yay. I barely know these players. I don't have the, the emotional attachment I have to some of these players that I would have with other players. This feels a little weird that there's some teams that I've been incredibly attached to over the years that don't win, and this team with a bunch of guys who I barely know won. And I love, you know, as a, you know, as a Boston fan, which is going to be the first one I'm going to do, the notion of a team with a bunch of players like Johnny Gomes and, and Shane Victorino and Mike Napoli and uh, John Lackey and um, Jake Peavy and Stephen Drew. You know, there are a bunch of players on that team who I were just showed up that year, and I loved them. They were fun. They were funny. They had long hair. They had beards. They were playing in the wake of the marathon bombing, and I'm not belittling that at all, and what they did and how they won. And there were enough familiar names on it, like Pedroia and Lester and Ellsbury and Ortiz. So it felt like a Red Sox team. And there was a bunch of players who were on the team, like you know Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr., who was on the team. He wasn't on the World Series roster, but he was part of the team, who were, you know, be part of it moving forward. But a bunch of the heroes are just there for a couple of years. Even Koji, who's going to be a beloved Red Sox for all time. But I look back and I say, and, and I love that team. But I think about some other teams who wore the Red Sox uniform. And if they had won on one of those other years, what that would have meant for the fan base to see a team filled with players who were Oh, how do I say it? We're all just beloved. And it could have been the beloved team of all time winning. I'll give you, and I, I talked about this a little bit. There's a team that won that was the perfect team to win. The, you know, the, the Red Sox team in 2004 was the perfect team to win except for one tiny detail. And they didn't have Nomar. Now, granted, Nomar, the Nomar trade was smart. The Nomar trade had to be made. The Nomar trade was one of the keys. And the fact that it came the year after the Aaron Boone homer, it came the year after the, the time when the curse was basically confirmed. That's, I, I get why 2004 was perfect. Only they had Nomar. Because one of the things that when they win, when your team wins, is to have those players that you love celebrate, jumping up and down, being hugged. You know, here in the Bay Area, when the Giants won their first title in 2010, they were filled with a lot of young players and everything. But the two players that I know as Giant fans meant so much because they represented turning the page and being a more fun and, and happy franchise were Pablo Sandoval and Tim Lincecum. 
They were the first two post-Barry Bonds stars in San Francisco. So when they were part of the team that won it all, and in retrospect, the young foundation of Posey and Bumgarner and a bunch of the other players who were there, there was something wonderful about that. And that was kind of the perfect team to win. When the Dodgers won in 1981, albeit in a weird split season, that was a perfect team to win because of all the players who win it. That it was against the Yankees. But you had Garvey and Lopes and Say and Reggie Smith and Rick Monday and Bill Russell and Dusty Baker and Burt Hooten and Fernando Valenzuela. And you had all the players, you know, with the one exception of Don Sutton, you had all the players from the teams that had lost building up to it, and they were able to win. The same thing when Kansas City won in 85, and they were still, all the players seemed to still be there. Not just the George Bretts and the Willie Wilsons and the Frank Whites, but the Jamie Quirks and the John Wathens and the Dennis Leonards. You know, in the Hal McCrays, they all seem to still be there. So those are years when a team wins and there's a happiness because everyone was, everything aligned perfectly. The Red Sox won in 2013. It did feel a little strange. It was wonderful, but it was strange that, all right, you guys, you're all world champion Red Sox and you're part of the lexicon of heroes we all love. And I started thinking about the teams that were so star-studded, that were so filled with players who were beloved figures in the team history that didn't win. And so that's the example I'm trying to say that the year where they should have won, the year that if they won, it would have not just been a great championship, but it would have been the moment of a franchise where they've reached an apex of being beloved. And all the best players and all the players you love the most winning at once. And the year I got to bring up is 1978. Now, you would think I'd bring up 86. And 86 is obviously you had Rice and Evans, you had Clemens and Boggs, you had Oil Cam Boyd and Marty Barrett and Rich Gedman. That was a team that I truly fell in love with as a play as a as a player. Yes. My days of playing with the Red Sox in my brain. But I look at that 78 squad. And I look at what that would have meant. Now think about on that team. 1978. I'm going to include Dennis Eckersley in the statement I'm going to make. Think of the Hall of Famers who were on that team. Eckersley was a Hall of Famer. He he mainly became a Hall of Famer based on his days with the A's. But but you know his his success in Boston as a starter laid down the groundwork of adding that to his success as a closer. And those together, like Voltron, created the Hall of Famer that is Dennis Eckersley, Jim Rice, Carlton Fisk, Carl Yastrzemski. I mean, those are the Hall of Famers on that team. You also had Dwight Evans. You had Fred Lynn, 
who was one of the great hopes of the, those two. I mean, Fred Lynn winning the MVP and the Rookie of the Year in his first year. Dwight Evans having a year that probably would get Hall of Fame consideration if he was eligible now. But you also had Jerry Remy. And Jerry Remy, who has become a beloved figure in Boston history, not just as being a local guy from Fall River, but also being the announcer, and he's like one of us. When you hear him, he sounds like a New Englander just watching the game. And he's happened to also have been an all-star second baseman. Rick Burleson, Butch Hobson, my favorite player growing up. George Scott at first base, Boomer Scott. And you also had Louis Tiant on the team. You had Bill Lee on the team. You had several players who were there in the 75 season, including Bob Montgomery, who went on to become a, an, an announcer and a voice of the Red Sox, including Dick Drago, who was the reliever who clinched the 1975 pennant for the Red Sox. You had you know, Bill Campbell. You had uh, Bob Stanley. You had a team that was filled top to bottom with the legends and the different kinds of legends. You know, the, 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 hall, the stoic Hall of Famers like Fisk and Rice, but also the beloved folk heroes like Tiant and Lee. You know, Lee, was the, the, the Spaceman from the movie that your pal Sully was in, and the documentary is still a divisive and yet popular figure. Louis Tiant was just a beloved figure in Boston with his weird rotation and everything that he would do on the mound. And that there would be a closure, in a sense, because modern-day Red Sox fandom, the notion of Red Sox Nation, was born in 1967. It didn't have to do with Teddy Williams. didn't have to do with the teammates. You know, Dom DiMaggio and and Bobby Doerr and Joe Cronin. And they didn't have to do with that. Because Fenway Park was considered to be a dump and they couldn't draw flies. And then 1967 happened and all of a sudden Fenway became the place to be and Red Sox fandom was never the same. And the fact that Carl Yastrzemski was the man who put the Red Sox on his shoulders for the last few weeks, won the Triple Crown, and invented in his wake the concept of Red Sox Nation. And to have him be represented on that team, along with George Scott, who was also on that 1967 team, and Redemption of 1975, and the perfect cast of Red Sox greats and Red Sox folk heroes, including Coach Johnny Pesky, that 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 Venn diagram makes me look at that year and say that was the Red Sox team that had they won the World Series in 1978 would have become the most beloved team in the history of Boston, of any sports team. And of course, I'm saying this as someone who was six years old in 1968, in 1978, sorry. And I have vague memories of that team existing on baseball cards and on the television. 
but I didn't understand how pennant races work. I didn't understand the day-to-day of a, of a team. That didn't happen to me until the next year, and I followed that next year very closely. But that team was very different in 1979. George Scott was gone after a couple of months. Bill Lee was gone. Louis Tiant was gone. They were still smarting from the great collapse that happened in 1978, resulting in the the Bucky Bleeping Dent game. Now, this is one reason why I believe a lot of people in Boston have never let it go with Don Zimmer. And that game was so painful. And the loss to the Yankees was so painful because the Red Sox had such a big lead They fell apart and then had a great final two weeks to force the one-game playoff. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Bucky Dent is. And the Bucky Dent game with the home run. And what people forget is that the Yankees took a 5-2 lead and the Red Sox cut it to 5-4. And the play, I mean, Lou Pinello made a wonderful catch in like the Sixth or seventh inning, a diving catch. But the play that I think in so many ways turned the fate of two franchises at one moment was you know, Rick Burleson on first, and Jerry Remy hit a line drive to right field, and Lou Pinello lost it in the sun, the right fielder for the Yankees. If that ball skipped past Lou Pinello, then it would have been a game-tying triple, or even possibly an AL East clinching inside-the-park home run for Remy. It certainly would have tied the game with um, Rice and Yastrzemski coming up with a chance to win the American League East with one swing of their bat. And with the two runners on, Jim Rice had a deep drive to right center field. If it went a little further, if it tucked into the bullpen, there you go. But it's the Pinella play in right field where he just stuck his glove out and the ball basically bounced into his glove and kept the runner from getting to third base where he would have scored. If Rice had got the same place, it would have been a game-tying sack fly. That, that game happened And the legacy of 1978 is falling just short. Yes, the pain of 78 made 2004 feel better. And the victories in 2007 and 2013 confirmed that 2004 wasn't just a -a once-in-a-lifetime event and maybe the Red Sox can win a World Series and there's no metaphysics working against them. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. The team that should have won was 78. What that would have meant. What that would have meant for Boston. What that would have meant for those players. To have a moment where that team was coronated. Where that team was the one on the parade waving to everyone. I've said something on previous podcasts. Two things I absolutely believe. That if the Red Sox had won the World Series in either 1978 or 1986. If one of those two things happened, and we all saw how close they got in 1986, and they probably would have won the World Series if they got into the playoffs in 78. If one of those two things happened, 
Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, and Dwight Evans is in the Hall of Fame as well. But that didn't happen. The Red Sox did eventually win, and I love the teams that won. But part of me wonders, should I wish one of the other titles, like the 2007 title, would I trade that for the Red Sox to have won in 78? You know, to look up and say, John Lackey's a world champion Red Sox. Josh Beckett's a world champion Red Sox. Julio Lugo's a world champion Red Sox. Eric Gagne's a world champion Red Sox. Ramiro Mendoza's a world champion Red Sox. Carl Yastrzemski is not. Jim Rice is not. Louis Tiant, Bill Lee, Fred Lynn, Jerry Remy. It's being greedy. But what I've discovered looking back, there's an example for each team. And no matter what team you root for, eventually I'm going to get to yours. And it will make you think, yeah, even if we had won, even if your team has won a championship, even if a team, your team has won a championship the next year or the year before, you look back and say, man, if that team had won, man, that would have been the best. So I'm going to do 31 of these. Actually, I'm going to do 30 more. And go check out the series every Saturday to see which team should have been the one to win. And if you have an idea of what to call this series, Please let me know via Twitter at Sully Baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the first in this series of the teams that should have won on this Saturday. And it's going to be each Saturday. Uh, this Saturday is the 25th day of February 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.